2 Kings chapter 6. Uh, in this chapter, we have the story of Elisha, the prophet of God, who knew things he wasn't supposed to know. And uh, I'm going to start with verse 8. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place we'll set up camp. Shh, don't tell anybody. And the man of God, Elisha, sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place. For thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of, and saved himself there, not once, but twice. Oh, not once nor twice. I mean, multiple times. Verse 11, Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? We've got a traitor in the midst. There's a mole in our camp that's informing the king of Israel about our maneuvers. And one of his servants said, None, my lord. You don't, there's no traitor in the midst of you, O king. But Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words you speak in your bedchamber. You see, he had his big chamber bugged. <laughs> and he said, go and spy where he is that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. He sent an army after one man. Now, you know you're in trouble when they send an army to get you. You know, we would just send a SEAL team, you know, six dudes with guns and night vision glasses and helicopter, and that'd take care of it. But this king, this Syrian king, he sent an army. And, and when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth... Elisha's, Elisha's servant got up, and he probably went out to the well to pump some water so that Elisha could wash his hands. Behold, a host compassed the city with both horses and chariots. He looked up, and he saw the Syrian army. I mean, it was, they, they were surrounded with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what are we going to do? Probably sounded more like this. What are we going to do? <laughs> and he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. Now, he had his wide, his eye, I guarantee you, this servant's eyes were wide open. He was affrighted. He was, he was scared. And when you're scared, you, your eyes bug out. They're so open. But it was his natural eye. Everybody say natural eye. Natural he could only see what the natural eye could see. And it looked bad to the natural eye. But 
Elisha prayed to God to, for him to open his servant's spiritual eye so he could see into another realm. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. And that's important to remember. Remember fire. Chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Now the army of the Lord has is, is, is filled up the whole mountainside. And yet Elisha single-handedly takes charge of the circumstances. He's supported by this army of angels. Yet he says, Lord, just smite the Syrian army with blindness. And the Lord smote them with blindness. And, that, and, and so that whole Syrian army could not see. And Elisha said unto them, This is not the way, neither is this the city. You're in the wrong place, buddy. Follow me, and I'll bring you to the man you're looking for. But he led them to Samaria, and it came to pass when they were coming to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. In other words, he delivered them to the king of Israel. And when their eyes were opened, they were already captured. And he told the king of Israel, he said, well, the king of Israel said, My father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? In other words, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? And he answered, Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldest thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and with thy bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And they prepared great provision for him. When they had eaten and drunk, he sent them home. So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. What a victory. What a victory. But the reason we're looking at this is, is I want you to see that there does exist in the realm of the Spirit armies of angels. Armies of angels. They existed then and they still exist. They're eternal beings. Angels don't die. They're eternal beings. And so uh, we, need to, we need to adopt the, the motto or the mantra, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. No matter what comes up against you, you need to remember and recall the truth that there are greater numbers with you than there are against you. Even if the whole world were against you. There are greater numbers with you. Uh, Dr. Tim Sheets, some of you know who he is. Uh, he, 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 he said this about, about that. He said, the natural number is not the kingdom number. You might want to write that down. The natural number is not the kingdom number. What does that mean? It means that what you see is not the whole story. 
What you see with your natural eye is not the truth. It's not the true fact. You cannot ignore the unseen realm and be truthful about the circumstances, what's going on. Greater is he that is for us than he that is against us. Can you say amen? There are more on our side than are against us. Praise the Lord. I like what uh, Paul Bott said when he was here. In our abs Ruth and I were absent, but uh, he was here with his uh, new bride. And he said, he said uh, empty chairs don't bother him because he knows that wherever there's an empty chair, there's at least one angel. And he talked about how there are more, there are more angelic beings in the room than there are uh, uh, people. And so he said, when, when people are not there, it just makes more room for the angels to crowd in. I like that. <laughs> it's true. It's true. There's so many angels around us, they can't all get into this tiny space. Unless they shrink themselves. Maybe they might, they might do that. I don't know what they're capable of doing. But I know, I know that the, the natural number is pretty, is pretty insignificant when you look at the whole picture. Everybody say whole picture. Turn to Revelation 5, verse 11. This is just a little, a little insight into uh, a scene in heaven. And uh, this scene in heaven, I don't believe is just a futuristic event. I, bl I believe it's like uh, this is what goes on every day in heaven. You know, God told John, I want you to write some things down. And these things that I write down, they are, they will be, they were, they are, and they will be. Past, present, and future. The things you're going to write down are, are things, things that, that were in the past, there are things that are in the present, and there are things that are in the future. So anything you read in the book of Revelation is applicable to the past, present, or future. Because of God, Jesus said it. He said it to John. So in Revelation chapter 5, I know that blew some of your minds, but the book of Revelation is not all in the future. There are, things, there are past things in the, in the book of Revelation. And there are things that were going on right then when, when John lived. And then there are things that will be going on when we're alive. Which is now, right? We're alive now. And then in, in the future. So, uh, he, Revelation 5.11, I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels. Everybody say many. Many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. Now we know that there's 24 elders around the throne from another scripture. So uh, uh, when he says many, he's referring to angels. Many angels, the beast, he described the beasts that were around the throne. And then he talked about the 24 elders that were around the throne. And the number of them, he's referring to the angels again. The number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Somebody who has a gift for math uh, tried to extrapolate that all out and, 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 uh, and it, it came out to uh, 10,000 
with zeros that could go clear around the room. In other words, there's too many to number. Angels. There's too many to number. Now, I don't know if God has an angel factory somewhere and he just keeps pumping out angels. Uh, I, I, don't know, I don't know what happened. I do know that he lost a third of them when, when, when Lucifer rebelled. And when Lucifer rebelled, he, he took a third of the angels with him. It's kind of like splitting the church. You know, when you have a church split, whoever's rebelling against the authority in that church, uh, oftentimes they get enough support from individuals, they take, they take people with them. That's, what, that's why you see, it, you know, in some communities, you see a church of the same denomination on every street corner. You drive through Alabama, Mississippi, and, and Georgia, you're going to see Baptist churches on every street corner. Well, at one time, there was just one. But somebody got mad, left, and took people with them, built a church across the street. It's kind of like the guy on the island. He was marooned there, shipwrecked on an island, and years went by, and uh, he was finally rescued. And when they discovered him on the island, there was, there was uh, 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 several huts, and, and then there was this four or five churches on that island that he had built. And uh, they said, well, we need to rescue the other people. And he said, oh, no, there's no other people on the island. Well, how come there's so many churches? He said, well, I didn't agree with people in that church, so I started another church. <laughs> he had a problem with himself. <laughs> it's, a, it's a funny but sad story. <laughs> Why did I bring it up? I don't know. What was I talking about? Anyway. Oh. Rebellion. Rebellion. Yes, well, when a third of the angels rebelled and followed Lucifer, there were still two-thirds left. So even if God didn't create any more angels to fill that that void, there's still twice as many of the good angels as there are of the bad angels. And we know from the scriptures that many of those bad angels were chained in a bottomless pit and they're awaiting for judgment. So they didn't all they weren't all just loosed. Yes. Right? And then we know from what we were talking about a couple weeks ago that their victory was so so astonishingly profoundly complete that even if there are a third of the you know the fallen angels running around they have no power they have no authority the angels of god still have power and authority so the third of the angels that fell and left with lucifer are not to be compared to the mighty angel armies of god you understand and, and I, I think when, a, when, a, when one of God's angels comes up against one of the devil's angels, the devil's angel is no match. When there's battle, and I believe there is battle, it is not as fierce as you think it is. Because they were defeated. They weren't just defeated in this realm, they were defeated in that realm too. Now you're looking at me like I'm preaching a new doctrine. I'm not. That's what Jesus said. That's what, that's what the Apostle Paul said. When Jesus rose from the dead, he led captivity captive. He took those in paradise to heaven, the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacobs, you know, all, all those in paradise. He took them to heaven, and then he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave away from the enemy, defeated him, and paraded the enemy 
before the whole universe as a defeated foe. That includes his angels. Made an open show of them. And refers back to a Roman tradition that when a Roman general would conquer uh, 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 an enemy, he would bring the king, the conquered king, all of his uh, generals and all of his mighty men, they would strip them naked, literally strip them naked, and bring them to Rome and parade them down the middle of the street in Rome and present them to the, uh, the Roman emperor as a defeated foe. And there they are, standing naked before their enemy, bound and headed for prison or death. That's a pretty big defeat. And that describes what happened to Satan when Jesus rose from the dead. Now, believe it or not, that's the truth. I choose to believe it. And because I believe it, I'm going to act on it. If it's true... If it's true, I believe it's true, then I'm going to act like it's true. And if I encounter a fallen angel, or if I encounter a demon spirit, or if I encounter Lucifer himself, I'm going to put my finger at him, and I'm going to say, you're defeated. You, you have no power or authority in this situation. Amen, Get out. And they have to go. That's good news. Because whatever I demand in Jesus' name will be done. And they, ha they have to obey because they're defeated. They have no power. They have no power to resist you. So get your devil kicking shoes on and go kick some devils. <laughs> you see, y'all raring to go. Do not be afraid of devils. Do not be afraid of demons. Do not be afraid. I don't care if, if you hear them growling under your bed. Don't be afraid of them. Get under there with them and say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And you, you got them trapped against the wall and say, Jesus, 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 and just torment them. No one won't come back. They'll never, never crawl under your bed again. Amen. You can torment them. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, they, they, that just makes their skin crawl. How many of you believe there's more of them than we can count? Okay, turn to Hebrews 1. Hebrews chapter 1 says that these angels, the, 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 this multitude of countless angels, they're not, they're not sitting around heaven. Now, I think they show up for some of these worship services, but I, I, that, that's not their, their, their major function. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us of their major function. Look at verse 13. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? He's talking about Jesus. He told Jesus, sit down here, Jesus, until I make your enemies your footstool. The next verse says, talking about the angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth? See, they're not there. They're not there. They're not hanging around Jesus all the time. They've been sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. Are they not all, all of them, 
all of them, how many of them is that? All of them, 10,000 times 10,000 times 10,000s of thousands of them have all been sent forth to minister to the heirs of salvation. Now, who might that be? Huh? We are the heirs of salvation. We have inherited salvation. We're the heirs of salvation. So guess what? They have all been the ten thousands of ten thousands upon thousands of thousands of ministering spirits. These powerful, supernatural, created beings of God. These warlike creatures. The, this army of God has been sent forth to serve you. Minister means to serve. People think, well, you know, I have a guardian angel. <laughs> no, you don't. You, you have a guardian angel army. You have an army of them, not just one. There's not just one. Praise God. There's a fellow I knew, he, he, uh, he, he heard some noise and he woke up. He was sound asleep and he woke up uh, to this noise that he heard. And he looked over and in the corner of his bedroom... There was, the, there was a group of angels. They had wings and everything. There's a group of angels sitting around what looked like a, a campfire. Except it wasn't burning. It was just flickering light, you know. But it's flames, flames of light. But it wasn't like our, it was a spiritual. It was in the spirit realm. You see, his eyes were open and he looked into the spirit realm. And there in the corner of his bedroom was a group of angels, like a squad of angels, sitting around this spiritual fire and they were laughing and, and cutting up and you know he's asleep so you know their angels don't sleep so he's just they're just sitting over there having a good time waiting for him to wake up waiting, waiting. and he said hey hey and they looked over at him and he said y'all need to hold it down you're keeping me awake and, oh, we're sorry, we're sorry, you know. So they kind of toned it down a little bit. And he went back to sleep. You say, I don't believe that. I could tell you a lot of stories you wouldn't believe. There is a scripture that says, the angel of the Lord, and we're going to read it here, the angel of the Lord encampeth around them that fear him. So there's a scripture that says, the angels of the Lord literally camp around you. Now, one angel can't camp around you. It takes more than one to camp around you. I just wanted to let you know. I, I want you to understand these, these angels are actively engaged in our lives. Now, let's go back to Joshua chapter 5, and we're going to see where Joshua encountered uh, an angel. Some people believe it was Jesus that he had encountered, but the Bible doesn't say Jesus. It just says angel. It actually says a man, but we understand from what, the, what he said that he was no ordinary man. Joshua 5.13, Joshua's getting ready to lead the Israelites against Jericho. They're getting ready to go fight the battle of Jericho. Y'all remember that? Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho. Well, this is right before that. Hebrews 1.13, I mean... Joshua 5.13 says, And it came to pass, this literally happened, this really happened. When it says it came to pass, that means it, this is something that really happened. When Joshua was by Jericho, 
that he lifted up his eyes and looked. You see, he lifted up his eyes and looked. I don't believe these were his natural eyes. I think he was looking into the realm of the Spirit. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him. That's pretty bold. Here's a man with a drawn sword, and Joshua just walks over to him. And he said to him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay. That means no. That's horse for no. Nay. No. But as... <laughs> I'm sorry. He said, No. I'm not for you or for your adversaries. He said, But as the captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? The captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And so Joshua took his shoes off. Does that remind you of a moment in the life of Moses? At the burning bush, God told him, Take your shoes off, this is holy ground. Many theologians say that this was Je actually Jesus himself. Uh, it says it was a man, but we know that, that from, uh, from his own lips, he declared to be the captain of the host of the Lord. He said, as captain of the host of the Lord, I am now come. So uh, whoever it was, he was coming in the office or in the position of the leader of the Lord's host. And that word host is his angelic host. He was telling Joshua, Joshua, the host of heaven is here. You're about to go against Jericho. You're, you're, about, you're, about, to, uh, you're, you're about to take a city that is impregnable, that cannot be penetrated because of its thick walls, its high thick walls. But I am here to let you know that the armies of the Lord are here also. That's good. And God had already told Joshua, I am with you. Yes. And so Joshua could decipher from all these things that, that the angel of the Lord and the host of the armies of God were there to assist him in taking Jericho. Now you know the story how they just walked around. God told Joshua, I want you to just march around the walls, take a whole, the whole nation of Israel, all three million of you, and I want you to circle the city, and I want you to just march around the city once every day, and on the seventh day I want you to walk around it seven times, and I don't want you to say a word. That's one of the greatest miracles in the Bible. Three million people silently marching around the walls of their enemy. And he said, on the seventh day, at seventh time around, I want you to blow your trumpets and shout. And when they did, the walls came down. And they just stepped over and went inside. Years and years and years and years ago, in our lifetime, there was a man named Roland Buck who, uh, who wrote a book about angels, and he said, 
one day he had an encounter with this warring angel, and the angel identified himself as Michael, one of the archangels. And uh, Michael uh, said to him, I was there at the walls of Jericho. Would you like to know what happened? And uh, Pastor Buck said, well, sure. He said, the army angels stood on the walls. And when the people of God began to shout, we began jumping up and down. And we drove those walls into the ground. And he said, it was the shout of the people of God that gave us the power and authority to stomp those walls in. We were working with Joshua and his people, not apart from them. That's an important principle. Now, that's not, that's not in the Bible. And anybody can make up a story like that and write it in a book. I'm not, I'm not vouching for the book, but I'm just saying I can see it. I can see it happen. You know, we don't have to know how things happen to believe they happen, right? We know the walls came down, and archaeology has proven, archaeology is a science, and it has proven that they didn't fall in, they didn't fall out, they fell down. They fell straight down. So, you think about how could that happen? Well, angels jumping out, up and down on it, I, I could see that being one of the ways. <laughs> Some of you, your brains are just... Okay. <laughs> well, when you think about when you think about angel armies, what what are they what are their jobs? What, what do they do? Well, I've given you some examples of what they do. They fight they fight with us in battles, major battles, and I think in minor battles as well, because they're always around us, they're always with us, so they assist us in winning our battles. You accept that? Amen. And uh, I, was, I was thinking about w what would be the duties of some of the other duties of angel armies. And, and uh, I got to thinking about a regular army. What does a regular army do? I mean, a natural army. Well, the first thing I thought is, is uh, you know, armies go in and deliver people. They, they, actually, they actually go in to set nations free. Kind of like what we did during World War II. We, we invaded Europe in order to set France free and Belgium and, and, uh, and, and these nations that had been taken over by Hitler. We sent our troops in there to drive Hitler out and emancipate these countries. And so uh, uh, emancipation is one of, the, one of the jobs of angel armies, to, to deliver saints. And that's where Psalm 34, 7 comes in. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Why are the angels camped around about us? To emancipate us. To free us up. If we get captured or we get bound or we get into some kind of bondage, of any kind of bondage, the angels of the Lord are there to set us free. They're emancipators. They're deliverers. Hallelujah. Daniel, in the lion's den. The angel of the Lord shut the mouth of the lion. 
And the lions didn't eat them. Why? Because the angel of the Lord came and shut the mouth of the lion and delivered Daniel. Uh, the three Hebrews, Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and the bad Negro. You know, Abednego. Sorry. I heard that. I, I heard that in a black church, by the way. I heard that in a black church. I said, bad Negro. Who are they talking about? Abednego. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay. I'll try that someday. Praise God. What happened to them? They got thrown in the fiery furnace, and, and the king looked over into the fiery furnace and said, didn't you just throw three men in there? Yeah. Well, I see a fourth man likened to the Son of God. Now, some people believe that was Jesus, the fourth man. Oral Roberts always preached this sermon, the fourth man, how that that was Jesus. Uh, it doesn't say it was Jesus. It just says, a, and this is Nebuchadnezzar talking, folks. What does he know? He said, there's, there's, a, there's a fourth man in there like unto the Son of God, or a Son of God. And he delivered them. Well, that could have been the Lord Jesus, or it could have been an angel that was just there to deliver them. It took only one angel. It took only one angel to deliver three people out of the fiery furnace. They're pretty powerful dudes. Pretty powerful dudes. Well, uh, how about uh, Lot? Y'all remember Lot, Abraham's nephew? He was such a holy man. He struggled. But he, had, he, was, he was a covenant member of the family of Abraham. And so Abraham's blessing was on him. And because of that, uh, God sent three angels, well, two or three angels, into Sodom. Three angels. They went into Sodom uh, to uh, deliver Lot. And they would have delivered Lot and his whole family. They would have delivered Lot, his wife, his, his two daughters, and their husbands. But the two husbands, they, they, they wouldn't go. They didn't leave. And, of course, his wife turned back and, uh, and looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. You know the story. And uh, so only Lot and his two daughters escaped. But they didn't escape on their own. They were delivered by these angels. God sent angels into there to deliver them. Yes. And remember how the, the wicked men of the city came and they demanded the angels be released to them and the angels just struck them blind so they're all wandering around and they all repented, right? No, they, they, were, they kept demanding that, I mean, they, 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 they stayed focused <laughs> on their sin. And, uh, and so, you know, the angels said, y'all, come on, come on, come on. And they got out of there just in the nick of time before fire and brimstone destroyed the city. So the angels of the Lord delivered Lot. One time, this is many years ago, I was pastoring a church in White Deer, Texas. White Deer, Texas was 45 miles from Amarillo, the nearest shopping, the nearest of anything. Didn't have Walmart back then, we had Kmart. My first credit card was a Kmart credit card. No, I regretted getting that. But, uh, <laughs> but we would go to Amarillo, 45 miles to shop, to see my family. My family lived there. And, uh, you know, to do anything, you know, go to the movies or whatever we did. And uh, we, were, we were 
driving home one day, and I kept noticing the steering, there's something wrong with the steering of the car, and it kept jerking, kept jerking. And I was just having to fight it to control it, keep it on the road. So I slowed down to about 60. <laughs> but it was still jerking. And uh, there's this big curve called Kyler's Curve that went around a big lake. We're going around that curve, that thing's just jerking like crazy. So I pull over, I get out, I open the hood, I look down in there, and my trained mechanic eyes didn't see nothing. So I shut the hood, and I said, well, we're almost home. We'll just, we'll, uh, I'll take you home, and then I'll go by the mechanic shop, and we'll, I'll see what's wrong with the car. My wife, Norma, at the time, she said, I, I'm sensing there's an angel on the hood of our car. I said, what would an angel be doing sitting on our car? He's, she said, he's not sitting. He's laying on his stomach, and he's got his hand over the car, and he's reaching down to the wheel. And I said, well, I hope he doesn't fall off. <laughs> I was real spiritual, you know. But she had a discerning of spirits. She had a real strong gift of discerning of spirits. And she, she discerned in the spirit. This, she saw the angel laying on his stomach on the hood of our car, reaching down. So we get, to the, we get to our house. I let her out, and I go downtown, which was two blocks away. Downtown was two blocks long. Had a big white deer statue right in the middle of the intersection. And I went into the, the mechanic shop, and Brother Bill Easter, a member of our church, he put it on the lift, raised it up off the ground. He walked under there. Preacher, come here. I'm over getting me a soda pop. Because he gave them to me for free. And uh, <laughs> he said, the Lord must really love you. I said, what do you mean? He said, look here. I looked up under there, and the steering mechanism was completely gone. And, and, and uh, whatever hooked it up to the tie rods was gone. And the, the, the steering thing was just sliding on the bar. It wasn't hooked on at all. And I'm driving 60 miles an hour with no steering. Well, I had some steering, but it was that angel. The angel of the Lord delivered us. Delivered us. And of course, we, we got it fixed, and the angel could do something else. Um, I had uh, Norma's uncle John Pratt was an evangelist. And he and his family, they traveled, they traveled in a, um, a big Oldsmobile pulling a travel trailer, about a 32-foot travel trailer. And that was home. They lived in that travel trailer. And it was Uncle John and his wife and their daughter Pam. And Pam's now a gray-headed woman, so it was a while ago. And they were traveling through the land, you know, holding revival meetings. And they're, they're driving through Colorado, and they're driving over a pass, a mountain pass in Colorado, and it had snowed, and there was snow and ice on the road. And they went up this steep curve in the road where there's a mountain on one side, and there's this deep drop-off on the other side. And they hit a patch of ice, and that car's wheels began to spin, and it began to slide backwards. And Pam, sitting in the back seat, said, What are we going to do? 
and he's slamming the brakes, or he and he's trying to he's trying to gas the engine, trying to trying to keep it away from the cliff. And this trailer starts to jackknife, and it starts turning towards the cliff, and it goes out over the cliff. The whole back end of that trailer is 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 suspended in midair, and he's gassing that engine. I mean, he's trying to get that thing away, and and then all of a sudden. The car just goes forward, and the trailer comes back on the road. And it never did dip. It never did go down. And he pulls over. They pull over at a, at a turnout just to get their breath back, say, thank you, Jesus, we didn't go off the cliff. And a truck driver who had been behind them pulls over. He comes up to them, and he's white as a sheet. He said, you all right? They said, yeah. And he said, I saw the whole thing. And he said, I don't know what that was, but he said, I saw a giant winged creature pick that trailer's back end up and hold it in the air and then shove y'all back onto the road. He said, I don't know what that was, but he said, that scared me to death. Well, they, they began to minister to him about the angels of the Lord. But this man, this unregenerate, unsaved man saw the angel of the Lord Hold that, hold that trailer, that 32-foot travel trailer, and kept it from falling down the, the mountain. By the way, I've got lots of stories like that. You want one more? In, in the mid-1980s, I attended a, a Kenneth Hagen camp meeting in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I used to have these big camp meetings every summer. And they would have it downtown Tulsa in this big convention center that would hold about 10,000 people. And it was always packed to the rafters. And, and uh, one of these camp meetings that I was at, at the end of the first service, the first night, he called for people to come down who needed healing. And uh, he prayed, had his prayer line, he's praying for people to be healed. And things, you know, there are people who, you know, jump out of wheelchairs, you know, the things you can see immediately. And then he prayed for a lot of people you didn't see anything. Well, one of those people was this woman who lived in Tulsa, and, but she was dying of a heart disease, and there was no hope for her. The doctors could not operate and fix it, and she was not qualified for some reason for a transplant. And so the doctor had sent her home to die. And she says, I'm not going to go home. I'm going to go to the camp meeting and see if they'll pray for me. So she's at the prayer meeting. She's at the camp meeting, and she's in the prayer line. And when, when Brother Hagen prays for her, he says, what do you want? And she says, I need a new heart. He said, Lord, give this woman a new heart. And then he just went to the next person. So she goes back to her hotel room. She's staying in a nearby hotel. She goes back to the hotel room. And she's exhausted. I mean, it took everything she could, all of her energy, to just do that. She goes to bed. She goes to sleep. In the middle of the night, she wakens. And an angel is standing over her, and he's got both of his hands in her chest, down inside of her body. And, of course, she's kind of startled, and he says, he said, don't worry, you'll be fine. Go back to sleep. And she went out like, like he'd sedated her. She went back to sleep. Well, she woke up the next morning feeling kind of refreshed and got up, went across the room, which was always a problem 
you know, a struggle just to walk across the room. She walks across the room two or three times. She's got all kinds of energy. She goes and cleans up and goes to, you know. And she says, something's different. So she calls her doctor from the hotel room, and she makes an appointment, and she goes into the doctor's office that day. The doctor examines her and examines her some more and examines her again, and I'm here to tell you he examined her. And he said, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. He said, I don't, I've never seen anything like this in my life. He said, but I, I've looked at the x-rays and I've looked at all the tests. He says, you have a brand new heart. And he said, I can tell where the cut was made. And whoever sewed you up, you know, sewed, sewed your arteries back together and all that stuff, uh, he said, I've never seen sutures like that. And he said, and the most amazing part is, there was no cut made on your body. You were not cut open for this heart transplant. It was done without cutting you open. She said, are you willing to uh, go to church with me tonight and, and, and testify to that fact? He said, I sure am. And so the next night, she comes to church. She comes to the camp meeting. She gets word to Brother Hagen that she's there, says something, told him what happened. They bring her up on the platform with her doctor. I'm there. I'm watching. I'm up in the nosebleed sections. But I'm there. And, and she tells her story, and the doctor corroborates it, and the place came unglued. And after that, it don't matter who you were and what you had. You could get healed from it. I mean, there was faith in the room. Praise God. But that was, that was an angel. An angel. Of, so we know that angels can rescue people on the highway, and they can also do surgery. Oh, and she never got a bill from the angel. Praise God. Is this helping you? Is this building your faith? Uh, angels deliver news. We know, we know it, it was Gabriel that came to Mary and said, you're going to have a son. And she said, I don't know how this is possible since, you know, I haven't done the natural thing. And he said, oh, it's a supernatural thing. The Holy Spirit's going to hover over you. And that, that wonderful thing that's going to be born of you is the Son of God. He brought the news. He also, he also let, her, let her know how it's going to happen. He explained. It brought, the angels can come and announce news, but they can also give explanation. And then the same angel went to Elizabeth and Zacharias. Remember Zacharias? And Zacharias said, <laughs> I don't see how that's possible. He said, we're old. And, uh, but remember what the angel of the Lord did to Zacharias? Shut his mouth. See, they, 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 can only, they can deliver news and they can prevent you from talking against it. And I think, you know, I have had I I've actually asked angels to shut people up. Not Ruth. I've never I never I've never sicked an angel on Ruth. But see, they can stop us from speaking foolishly. <laughs> Amen. If you ever if you ever feel an invisible hand go over your mouth, shut up. Just shut up. I know it's not polite to say shut up, but. Everybody understands what that means. Okay. So uh, the angels of the Lord, they come to bring news, and they come to, to keep us from speaking foolishly. They deliver our enemies into our hands, like with Elijah. 
Remember Jehoshaphat? They went out singing, praising God, and when they got to the enemy's camp, the, the angels had already been there. They organize and execute our declarations and decrees. Amen. Listen to this, Psalm 103, verse 20. And I'm not, I'm not far from the end. Psalm 103, verse 20. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, <clears throat> that excel in strength. See, his angels excel in strength. That do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. And you might want to underline that. Hearkening unto the voice of his word. Hearken means to listen and act on it. Hearken means to actually hear it and do it. Bless ye the Lord, all his hosts, you ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So... We know from this that the angels of the Lord listen for the word of the Lord. And when they hear the word of the Lord, it activates them to go and perform it. They're listening. It didn't say just they listen to, for the Lord himself, but they listen for the voice of his word. So you can voice God's word. And the, it releases the angels to act. Amen. Joel chapter 2 and verse 11 says, And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army. Now what's the Lord's army? It's those ten thousands of thousands of thousands upon thousands of angelic beings. The Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great. And that word very great is speaking of in terms of numbers. For he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? So we know that when the Lord utters his voice, his angel armies go forth and obey that word. They bring it to pass. When we, as God's spokesmen in the earth, See, we are God's spokesman in the earth. When we speak the word of the Lord and we utter God's voice in the earth, we release these warring angels to go into battle, to act. There's some, there's some uh, discussion about can we command the, the angels? And uh, I, don't, I don't think the angels are necessarily under our command but they are under the command of God's Word. And so in that respect, if I speak God's Word, and if I declare God's Word and confess God's Word, the angels will act on that. So in a sense, I can, I can direct the angels, and I can give the angels marching orders, but only as, as, as it pertains to God's will, and His, His Word is His will. So whatever God has said in His Word, we can utter it with our voices, and the angels of the Lord will listen to it, Amen. and they'll go forth and act on it. Yes, Praise God. I don't want the angels that are camped around me to be idle. I want them to be busy angels, and they want to be busy. I think many Christians bore the angels. I think many Christians bore their angels. I think many Christians frustrate their angels. Many Christians disgust their angels. I mean, you think about it. If they're camped around about you, what do they see? 
They see you in the shower. That ought to be disgusting enough for my angels. Maybe we ought to frost the shower doors so they don't have to see us clearly. I don't know. Turn your heads. You know, but they see everything. I mean, God sees everything. And if his angels are camped around about us, they see everything. They hear everything. They hear us talk negative. They hear us giving the devil more credit than he deserves. I'm sure that just chaps their lips. To hear us bragging on the devil. I, I guarantee you, your angels don't like that. And I, I don't want to make my angels mad. I don't want I mean, they have, they have to do what they're created to do regardless. But I can make it easy for them or I can make it hard for them. And I, I, want, I want my angels to like me. I don't want them to just, oh, he's my assignment, kind of like Secret Service agents. How would you like to be Hillary Clinton's bodyguard? How would you like to, how would you like to be the, body, the bodyguard of some of these people the Secret Service has to protect? The things they've seen. Can you imagine the things they've seen Bill Clinton do? I mean, well, Biden's probably an easy one to you know guard because he doesn't do anything. He just kind of sits there. He's like guarding a lump of lard, you know. It's those people around him. But the angels, they hear it all. They see it all. They're like they're like. They're like Secret Service bodyguards. And their job is their job regardless. But we can make their job pleasant and easy, or we can make it hard. And the Bible says in the end, at the judgment, we will sit in judgment of our angels. So they know, they know that when it's all over, said and done, we're gonna, we're gonna give them a grade. So they want to earn a good grade. Amen? And if, if, you know, we're not supposed to worship angels. We're not supposed to. Nowhere in the scripture does it say we're supposed to engage them or talk to them. Uh, if they talk to us, then it's okay, like Mary talking to Gabriel. You know, if, if they talk to us, then we can ask questions or whatever. But we don't, we, don't, we don't seek out angels. We don't talk to angels. We don't worship angels. We worship Jesus. But we need to understand, folks, we're not without supernatural help. We've got this army. And this army right now is fighting a battle for our country. Yeah. And we know who's going to win that fight. There's no way that the forces of darkness are going to prevail over the angel armies of God. There's no way. We just need to do our part. Amen? And believe. Praise the Lord. So, how many of you are thankful for the assistance of the angel armies? <laughs> Praise God. What can we do? We can get the Word of God in our mouth and we can start speaking God's Word and God's will and decreeing some things because the angels, the angels are empowered by our confessions. So, if you want your angels to be more active, then you need to speak God's Word. Amen. Stand up with me, and we're going to take communion before we leave and just thank God that through the 
power and blood of the Lord Jesus, we have all these wonderful benefits. Amen? And as, as uh, Robert uh, uh, comes and distributes the cups, I want you to just search your heart and just ask the Lord right now to remove from you any unclean thing and that you would, He would deliver you from every bondage, every enslavement, every wicked thing that holds you back. His blood will sever that relationship. His blood will set you free. Amen? Remember Peter when he was in prison? They'd already, they'd already beheaded James. Y'all remember that? That means they cut his head off, James, and they threw Peter in prison, fully intending to uh, cut his head off the next day. And during the night, while Peter is sleeping, I always wondered, you know, how can you sleep knowing that you're going to be beheaded the next day? Well, Peter had a word from Jesus that said, when you're old, when you're old, you'll be bound and, and led somewhere that you don't want to go. And Peter knew he wasn't old. So he had a word from Jesus that he wasn't going to die young. So he went to sleep that night. And while he was asleep, the angel of the Lord came shook him, and he's so sound asleep, the angel had to shake him again. He might have kicked him. You know, woke him up. The chains fell off. The door opened without anybody touching it. See, God invented these self-opening doors way before Walmart. And he walked out into freedom. See, the angel of the Lord delivered him. The angel of the Lord delivered him. Praise God. And he'll deliver you. Lord, I thank you for your body that was broken for us. And all the things you suffered to set us free. You were anointed. The anointed one of God to set the captives free. And Lord, through your actions at the whipping post and on the cross, you set us free from sin death, sickness, disease, poverty, all these things, Lord, that hinder us in our service to God. And we are a freed people. And when you rose again from the dead, it proved that what you did was enough. And so we receive the work of the cross right now in Jesus' name. Let's eat together. The cup represents the blood that was shed. The night that Jesus was betrayed by Judas, the Bible says he took the cup and he said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This, he said, drink all of it. And then he said, do this as often as you remember me. Lord, I remember the price you paid. I remember you. And we salute you, Lord, with this cup. We honor you with this cup and we drink from it knowing that there are certain provisions in it that cannot be annulled or broken, they are eternal. And we receive the eternal benefit of the shed blood of Jesus, and we thank you for it. 
Everybody said amen. Let's drink together.